0: Amen. Uh, Get your Bibles and you can go ahead and turn to the book of Psalms. I'll be reading shortly from Psalm 75. You may also want to go ahead and get to Matthew 25. You can put your finger there. We'll be there in just a moment, but we'll start in Psalm 75. And uh, just to catch you up, if uh, you're a guest with us this week, we started last week a series that I entitled Connecting the Dots. And uh, won't go through all that we mentioned last week. You can catch that absolutely free of charge, at least for a while, on iTunes by going to our church website, then linking to media, and it will get you to the iTunes site. And so uh, last week we talked about connecting some dots on our finances, but we're using the analogy or the imagery of connecting the dots because when I was growing up, whenever we were going on a long trip, My sister and I would get to purchase a brand new coloring book of some sort in order for us to work it in the car as we went down the road. And usually in that coloring book there were several pages of what we called connect the dots. And uh, you would start at one and oftentimes there would be over 100 numbered dots on one of these pages and you'd just move from dot to dot with your crayon. And when you were all done you had a picture in front of you. Uh, Usually it was a mystery. Maybe they had even a question that you had to guess before you connected the dots in order to uh, have a little game with yourself, in order to know what you were eventually going to have before you. And as I was thinking about that, I thought about how much life works that way. You never get the picture you want. You'll never get the picture that God has for you, that imagination, that hope, the vision, the purpose of God, however you want to define that, whatever word you want to use, the the, the, the picture that you see of where you would like to be and where God would want you to be you will never get to that point unless you understand how to connect the dots. And last week we mentioned that Moses Moses knew the ways of God. The people of Israel knew his acts. And the question you have to ask yourself is is that if you want a Moses moment, if you want a Paul moment, a Peter moment, if you want A moment that these early disciples and men of God, patriarchs, had with the Lord, if you want one of those moments, then then we've got to understand the ways of God. We just can't be a part of the crowd that constantly watches the acts but never gets the ways. And so you've got to begin to get the ways of God. And, and, And so we started last week because through the years I've watched people you know, look at me and shake their head up and down during service and say amen and shout with me and then they'll walk out the doors and then somehow or another, the precepts that get taught aren't oftentimes the ones that get connected to their real life. And so I just decided I'd save a lot of counseling time and you a lot of heartache to take just a few Sundays to connect some some dots that it seems to me a lot of people overlook. And so today, I've entitled our lesson, Connecting the Dots on Your Destiny. Connecting the dots on your destiny. You know, I've hung around these last years, especially around our circles, full gospel circles, some call them charismatic circles, spirit-filled circles, and to be candid, there are few people within our circles who are not interested in living out God's purposes for their life. People want a sense of fulfillment. People want a sense that they're making a difference. People... Well, to be candid, people want success. People want to prosper. I've asked this a thousand times. How many of you would rather prosper than be impoverished? I mean, how many of you would rather prosper? Just be honest. It's not holy to be in poverty. You can't do things for the kingdom. You can't give in the mission offering. You can't be benevolent. So don't think it's holy to be poor. In fact, Jesus said you'll always have the poor, but that didn't mean they were holier. It just meant that they weren't connecting some dots together. But everybody, everybody wants to get promoted. Everybody wants to get the raise. Everyone wants to get that special career. Uh, A lot of people want to break through into the ministry. Everybody wants a life that people esteem, that people see as influential. You want when people look at you to, to feel like, man, they've made it. They've done something with their life. And there's nothing wrong with those feelings. But we've got to understand that if that's what you desire... ...then you've got to know there's some dots you're going to have to connect. Now I'm going to read out of the book of Psalms right now. If you have your Bible, Psalm 75, verse 4. It's it's really one of my favorite uh, passages in the Psalms. Psalm 75, verse 4. This is what the psalmist said. He said, I said to the boastful, do not deal boastfully. And to the wicked, do not lift up the horn. Do not lift up your horn on high. Do not speak with a stiff neck. For exaltation, and you may want to put this, some of your versions may even read a little bit differently, but if you have exaltation there, you can put in parentheses for promotion, success, forward movement, raises, purpose, destiny. For exaltation comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. Now, I read this to you because the psalmist is saying that promotion and destiny do not come from you telling everyone how great you are. Do you understand? That's what he's saying. He's saying destiny will not come by you exerting a rebellious pride, not by displaying your strengths and strutting around. In fact, it's interesting. I, I just... I don't know Hebrew, so I have to use all the helps to understand the Hebrew. But there in the fourth verse, that word lift up, where it says lift up, it actually means to raise your head and snort proudly like a horned animal. I don't know if any of you ever grow up, grow up on a farm or ever been around an animal with horns. But if you've ever been around an animal that has horns, be it a steer. Goats have horns, don't they? I mean, there's all kinds of horned animals, and if they've got a horn on their head, they know it. I mean, they know if they've got one, and they know if they don't. And I can remember, we'd go through at special times in the year when we were working with cattle, and we'd go through and we'd what we called dehorn the cattle. And the reason you did that is because they wouldn't hurt each other, and they wouldn't hurt you. But you'd leave a few that way, and boy, if you did, they knew it. I mean, you could watch them. Some of you have seen, you know, the animal channels on the upper cable networks. You've seen the animals in the wild when something's wrong. they'll, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? And they'll snort and they'll blow air out their nostrils. And they'll shake their heads and they'll put their head down and they'll show you their horn. And you know why they do that? They're they're showing off their strength. When they begin to shake their head and... Snort and do that. They're, they're, they're saying, you want, you want a piece of me? You better think, well, you've seen these things? I'm here to tell you. These things will do some damage. See, I, I can interpret animal talk. See, that's a, uh, you see. But the bigger the horn, the more arrogant the animal. Now, this is the question that the psalmist really puts to us here. He says, you ever see a human being shake their horn? Oh, no, we don't, we don't, and snort, and, but I'll guarantee you, I've watched human beings show me their horn. I was watching the other day, one of my favorite shows, I've told you this before, I watch it just because it keeps me attuned to how the world works, but I've watched The Apprentice, and, and anytime you see Donald Trump and The Apprentice, you can watch people shake their horn. You can hear them snort. You can hear them tell the whole world just how, just how bad of a person they are. You can see their arrogance and, and, and their haughtiness and their pride. And, and the amazing thing to me is, is that when they do that, they're promoted. Donald tends to kind of like that stuff. And he promotes it. Now, now he'll honor and respect anybody that comes with humility, but then he'll look at him and say, you'll be toast in the world. And he exalts, he exalts those that seem to know how to strut their stuff the best. Now the world may work that way, and unfortunately you may be in a place or in a position in the world where it tends to work that way around the office, but you need to understand that the kingdom doesn't work that way. And you've got to determine who's in charge of your life and your situation. Do you really think it's your boss, or do you believe Psalm 75, that it's God who raises up one and sets down another? You've got to determine in your mind who it is that's going to control your destiny. I've often said this, that if if God raises you up, and if God sets you in place, nobody can upset you. You know, God set the moon, the stars, and the sun in the sky, and last time I looked, they're all still there. But truth of the matter is, if you set yourself in place, then you've got to keep it. And, and you've got to somehow make sure that it's you who's, who's doing the work as you're navigating, navigating life. I, I, I'm going to tell you, I told you that I tell on myself in this particular series. So I'm going to tell on myself, and at first it's going to sound like I'm shaking my horn, but just bear with me, because I get dehorned in the story, so... So just bear with me for a minute. I was 18 years old when I was saved. About three months after my conversion, God called me to the ministry. Now, I've told that story, and I'm not going to spend time talking about it, except to say that God got me when I was young and when I was dumb. He said, I'm going to call him before he knows anything about the ministry. That way he won't fight it, he won't resist it, he'll just say yes because he's just dumb and naive as a person could be. Because you see, I thought at that time, being just 18 years old, that all preachers had character. And I thought that everybody who called themselves a Christian could be trusted without question. And I just figured that the path, you know, to purpose and destiny was certainly... Uh, following the will and the leading of the Lord, but that, of course, you know, you kind of kind of work things a little bit like you worked it in the world, and you interacted like the world interacted, and you networked like the world networked. And, of course, you didn't swear, you didn't cheat, and you didn't steal, or you, you didn't do the really bad things. But, but aside from the real big list of things, pretty much it worked just the same as the world worked. Well, I'm here to tell you, I was so wrong. I mean, I was wrong on more counts than I can even share with you this morning. But the problem was that the the system that I was involved in, the religious system, didn't tell me. They didn't teach me. They didn't prepare me. In fact, in the religious system that I was a part of, they encouraged a lot of the ways of the world as you moved through and got to the top of the heap. And, And it wasn't because, listen to me, it wasn't because that I was Knowingly being rebellious. In other words, I just didn't wake up one morning and said, I'll oh, be doggone. I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to do it this way. It wasn't knowingly being rebellious. It wasn't knowingly trying just to, to fly in the face of God. But nobody was helping me in those early years to connect the dots. I was violating principles left and right the whole time, smiling and loving the Lord and preaching the gospel, and yet the whole time violating principles. So, through all those years, I was sowing. And I want to write this one down. Sowing counts even if you're ignorant. Sowing still counts even if you're ignorant. In other words, the seed you sow isn't just the one you know you're sowing. If you're sowing even seed you don't know, it's still sowing. So, I don't want you to sow some bad seed. Because I sowed some seed that, that I reaped for years. Now, I want to read to you out of Matthew. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew. And this parable literally changed changed my life and the way I looked at things. In Matthew chapter 25, in fact, I probably can't read to you the whole parable, um, but you'll know it. Most of you will know it almost instantly. It's the parable of the talents. Now... Again, I'm going to refer back to it here several times, but let me just kind of synopsize the story because it it exists between verse 14 and verse 29. But basically, there was this man who was going off to a far country, and he calls all his servants, and he begins to parcel out some of his goods. He gives one five talents, another two, and another one, and uh, he says to work with them as he's gone. And so the guy that had five works with it, turns it around, and produces ten. The guy that has two, you know the story, works with it and produces four. And then finally, the guy that had one, when the master comes back, simply says, well, I knew you that you were a hard guy and you reaped where you did not sow and you gathered where you had not scattered and I was afraid and so I just buried it. I buried it and I'm just going to give back what was yours. And the Lord looks at him and he says you were wicked and you were lazy and you knew all of these things and so you should have at least put it in a bank and got a little interest on it. And so he takes away from the one who didn't have all that much to begin with and he gives it to the ones that have now increased or prospered. Folks, let me tell you something about the kingdom that we've been hoodooed on, and that is God will snatch things out of the hands of the poor and give it to those that seem to have abundance, not because he doesn't care about the poor, it's because the poor at times refuse to connect some dots. Are you with me? I'm not not against poor people. Jesus loved poor people. He speaks in his gospel about being benevolent to the poor that is a part of what we do, but listen to me now, there are poor people that will stay poor because they just won't put some dots together. And so what happens is that keeps going to these people who are prospering because they get it and they understand it. And so we see in this story some precepts that begin to come forth. In the Gospel of Luke, there's a very similar story with ten servants, only in this particular story he uses minas. Now, Now, let me just give you just the quick version. It's a simple story. Here are some servants that were given an opportunity from the Lord and expected to handle it in an appropriate way. In fact, their ability to handle what was given to them was directly related to the destiny or the future they would walk in. In fact, in the book of Luke, it says that when he gave them minas, and the guy that took a mina and turned it into ten minas in that story, he said have rulership over ten cities. Isn't that amazing? The one that turned it into five, he said, have rulership over five cities. So he's putting money, in this particular case, into their hand, and they're turning it around, and out of that, he gives them rule, or he gives them authority. Now, I've heard people through the years, and I'm going to clear up a misconception, I've heard pastors and preachers use this parable to teach us how God expects us to use our talents. Now, What they do is they use the word talent in the scripture as sort of a pun in order to uh, talk to us about everybody has a skill, everybody has a gift, everybody has an ability, everybody has a talent, and God expects you to use your talent. Well, the parable has nothing to do with your skills, abilities, gifts, or talents in that regard. Can you say amen to that, that, that you heard it? I know, you've heard that before. You've heard someone teach you, yeah, you know the parable of the talents. God expects us to use our gifts and talents. Well, no, that's not what he's saying there. I'm going to get to that. In fact, it has nothing to do with these things. What it has to do with is that God gave them an opportunity to demonstrate how faithful they could be with what he decided to put in their hand. Are you with me? Very important. He decided... How faithful can you be in this opportunity? I'm going to put something in your hand and let's see what you can do with what I put in your hand. God is not nearly as interested in all your skills and abilities, your gifts, even your talents that we use in our era today to describe whatever we're good at as he is in your faithfulness. Now, I want you to listen to me. Skills and gifts have their place. You go through the Old Testament, and I'm always marveled that when they built the tabernacle, they brought forth skilled people. That's what the Bible says. When they worship God, it says they brought forth skilled musicians. They brought forth skilled singers. That's what the Bible says. So it's not an either-or proposition. The key is God wants skilled, gifted people with wonderful ability and talents to come to the forefront. But the problem is when people have a great gift, their gift is what they think will carry them through and your gift won't get you to destiny. Your character and your faithfulness is what gets you to destiny. Now you got to get this in your system. And if you're particularly skilled in an area, then you definitely need to hear this because it will be that area God's going to rub some things into your system. Now, let me give you some foundational concepts that I got, just like I was talking about last week, only in the area of receiving and walking into destiny. I believe I put it on the screen overhead. R.T. Kendall once said, the worst thing that can happen to a man is to succeed before he's ready. I don't have to prove that. I'll just let somebody win the lottery and put $100 million in their hand and watch what happens to them a lot of them go, and they go bankrupt with $100 million. I, 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 You know, I'm even embarrassed to stand before you today, but up to 1989, that was me. That, unfortunately, was me. I was 19 years old when I began to minister. I've been almost preaching the gospel now for 30 years. And at 19, I'd only been saved a little over a year Because of the favor, for whatever reason, that God just opened up over my life, I had incredible opportunity. But you know what I didn't know at that time, which I do know now, is that when you're in a season of favor, you can't mature. Nobody matures, I'll just, I'll stand toe-to-toe with anybody, if you'd like to debate me on this one, call me up and I'll go after it. Nobody matures in a season of favor. You know why? It's because when you're in a season of favor and everything's going right and everything's going the right direction, you deceive yourself into thinking that everything you do must be okay or God would somehow nail you. And that's not true. God may be favoring you for his purposes, and you can have several things out of order in your life, and you'll just keep right on rolling, thinking you must be okay, because look at all this favor that's going on around me. I must be okay, or why else would God be favoring me? It's because he has a greater purpose that he wants to accomplish. He chose to use you, and uh, while he's not dealing with those defects now, I assure you, he will get to them. He will get to them. That was me. I had incredible opportunity. I was the only college student to ever speak in our college chapel on three separate occasions in front of 1,400 students. I spoke at the church. It was a megachurch. We're talking in the early 1980s. I was a junior in college, a senior in college, and I was on the rotation to speak at this megachurch, and that hadn't happened before. I was able to hold revivals. I went to camp meetings. All through my college years I traveled nearly every week all through college and seminary and held meetings all over the Midwest I was a senior pastor at age 25 can you imagine giving somebody the keys to a church at age 25 to be senior pastor that my friend should have been against the law by the time I was 28 they stuck me in the it was the second most historical church in our denomination and you could read down the list And you would see the who's who of anybody and everybody in the denomination I was a part of. I was now in line to go somewhere at 28 years old. You say, well, wow, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that is, is that I had a gift and I had a little favor on my life, but I hadn't connected some dots. I didn't understand that God had certain ways concerning destiny. And unfortunately, I succeeded before I was ready. I'll just say it out loud, I succeeded before I was ready. And God took me and had to take me through some lessons and through some training periods starting in 1989, that if, again, you'll learn from my pain and Tracy's pain, and you'll learn from just the Baird pain, you can avoid your pain. I can save you some trips around some mountains. Now, remember what I said last week when I said that fear is the greatest obstacle to obedience. Everybody remember me saying that? Fear is the greatest obstacle to your obedience. Let me just share this. Your talent or your gift and the pride that you don't even realize that engenders can be your greatest obstacle to destiny. Your gift can be the greatest obstacle to your destiny. Yeah, yes it is. Just talk to Saul. I can go through the scriptures. Talk to Samson. Come on now. Their gift, they were gifted, talented, skilled people, but they hadn't connected some dots. And at the end of their life, we find them crashing. And can I just share with you that some of the most prideful people I know are not in the world, although I can find plenty there. But it's amazing how many I see in the church. And some of them stand on platforms and preach the gospel some of them sing and worship some of them teach a Sunday school class some of them uh, oversee small groups and you'll ask them about their life and they'll say yeah i do it all for the glory of god but they never get to destiny because they never see the ways of god they think their anointing they think their talent they think their skill they think their gift is all they need and it's not and that is why we as the church have never Receive the nations as an inheritance. Do you get this? That's God's promise. We should be running the place. And why shouldn't we? We've got the anointing. We've got talents. We've got the gifts of the spirit. We've got all these kinds of things in our midst. But we ain't running nothing. We can barely run the nursery. You give us a few three-year-olds and and, and it's tough enough to take dominion over that. We think we're going to exercise dominion over the city. Well... It's not because of lack of anointing or talent or gift. It's because we haven't connected the dots. Your gifts will only take you as far as your character and faithfulness will uphold you. And there is a God process that he wants to work in our lives. And if you skip these things, they will come back to haunt you. Listen to a guy who had them come back to haunt him. They haunted me until finally I got a hold of it. And when I got a hold of it, things started to change let me give you some practical things that I've learned in connecting the dots to destiny number one you ought to write it down faithfulness has to be practically demonstrated faithfulness has to be practically demonstrated for me prior to 1989 if you asked me the question are you a faithful man are you are you faithful to the Lord I would have said without question without hardly thinking about it yes oh yes yes I'm a faithful man look at my life look at what I'm doing look at what I'm involved in look at how I'm using my talents look at how I'm using my skills look at just look just take a moment and look at how I love God and how I do my devotionals and and how I do all of those things and I would have said it quickly and swiftly but the problem was everything I did was always on my schedule my time my way and I had to call the shots faithful in my dictionary ...was always very convenient. It's amazing how faithful you can be when it all revolves around you. As long as your life is designed around you... ...you can be just the most faithful person in the world. And I never understood some things about what faithful really meant. I never understood faithful until I had to come under another man's vision. Now it's interesting that the servants I read to you in the text... ...had somebody come to them... And he parcels out some money to them. A talent, I think, was about three months' salary or something like that. But parcels out some money to them. And, and, and they have to begin to implement another person's agenda as he parcels it out to them. Now, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 12, it says... ...that if you're not faithful in that which is another man's... ...who will give you that which is your own? See, these servants had to first demonstrate their faithfulness with something that was not theirs. Before they could rule cities, before they could exercise influence, they had to be faithful in this regard. Now, I'm going to say this and just bear with me, okay? This will be like an ouch, but then it'll come back to, that's good. The greatest challenges in this area are those who work for themselves. Anybody that works for themselves, they... They have the ability to set their own schedule, own their own business. Hey, look at senior pastors. Senior pastors are the biggest violators of this principle. Now, let me just say this. I believe that those of you that may own a business or you can set your own schedule or you're in charge of whatever it is you're in charge of, you know what? God put you in that place in order for you to exert an incredible amount of influence and for you to be able to probably do great kingdom things. But don 't fool yourself, everyone needs to demonstrate faithful by being under someone 's authority. I was traveling uh, in in my years before one thousand nine hundred and eighty nine I was traveling I was a speaker, so I would travel almost every weekend. I was a college student, and how do you control a college student 's schedule man i didn't even make i didn 't make science lab on Friday afternoons. I mean it was terrible. I had a missions class at seven thirty in the morning and i said i 'm not going to missions class at seven thirty god 's not up at seven thirty I mean to go to missions class and the dude wanted to teach us about how to plant corn on the mission field and I said that doesn't interest me at all. And and so you know you have options of whether you want to go to class or not go to class. At night uh, I'd work as a custodian from 3 o'clock to 11 o'clock at night when everybody was gone and so I was under nobody's hand there as well. And, And when you become a senior pastor at age 25 I became the most dangerous man in the world. You'll never get some things worked into you until someone has the ability to make you do what you don't want to do. Then we'll find out if you're really faithful. That's when we find out if you're faithful. i tell you what, in 1989, I had to go work for another pastor. And you know what? That other pastor made me be on time. In fact, not only did I have to be on time, he made me have a good attitude when I was on time. In fact, if I was late, he'd pull my tail in an office and he said, we aren't going to do that anymore, are we? No, sir. In fact, he would uh, look at me and say, I have this issue going on. Kevin, I need you to go and, and help bring some correction to these people so I don't have to bring it to them because if they get mad at you, they'll get over it. But if they get mad at me, they'll leave. And so they need correction. So will you help me navigate this? And I had to go do that without exposing him. You find out how faithful you can be. You know, it's easy to correct somebody or to say something to somebody when you go, well, pastor said, you try to do it when it's just you. But I had to demonstrate faithful. I mean, I mean, we had concerts. I'll never forget WLFJ would have concerts and the people would be there till one, two o'clock in the morning and, and then they'd all leave and, and, and guess who had to stay and vacuum and clean up at 2 a.m. on a Saturday night in order to be back at church ready to go at 8 a.m. Now, we, I don't think everybody has to live under all of those things. But the fact of the matter is you aren't faithful till you start demonstrating faithful. Don't, don't, don't redefine the word in order to make you feel better, but understand what faithful really means. Let's translate this into your work-a-day world. If you as an employee will just come to work on time, if you'll work diligently while you're at work, if you won't call in sick every other day, and you'll be consistent in the place you are employed, they'll make you a manager in six months... Because in the day and age we live in, you can't count on that anymore. We live in an unfaithful generation. Don't tell me you're faithful when we see marriages collapsing around us. We won't keep our word. We won't follow through. A faithful person is positioned for greatness. Joseph in the Bible, even though he went into the pit, to Potiphar's house, and into prison, he got to, uh, uh, he got to uh, Pharaoh's palace not because he was gifted although he exhibited great administration skills but he got there because everywhere you put him he was just faithful faithful everyone say faithful faithful i am tell you faithful is every area of your life it's not just about church it's about every area of your life are you faithful are you faithful Employers, are you faithful with how you handle employees? Employees, are you faithful with how you handle your employers? It's every single area of life. Am I being a faithful person? Well, faithful has to be practically demonstrated. That's number one. Number two, God gives opportunities I need, not necessarily ones I want. You see, the master gave them what they needed What he needed them to do, not what they wanted to do. Are are you seeing that? It's amazing that in the body of Christ at large, and I've heard this, I've heard this on tape, I've heard this on TV, I've heard this so much till I want to go. It's this God will only call you to what brings you life and joy and contentment. Eh, wrong answer. Show me that verse. Somebody just find me the verse. If you'll show me that verse, maybe I'll amend that. But, but truth is, God will at times call you to do things you need to do, not just those things you want to do. I mean, Trace, how many times... you think I won't make you answer this because it'll embarrass me, but how many times you know this to be true? In college, seminary, through the years, did I say these words, I will never be a staff pastor. A bunch. Don't you ever say never. Because there's something... In the heavenly realm that happens in the throne room. When a never goes up to God. It seems as if his ears bend towards the earth. And he looks at the Son and the Holy Ghost and he says, I heard a never. A never, never they say. Okay, we'll find out if I'm really in charge. And the minute you say never, you get ready. Because God will come and say, we're going to find out whether you'll do this. I've said I'll never run a Bible school. I did that too. I said I'd never start a church. Look where I am today. How many times, how many times did I turn down an opportunity at that large church that I was in in college? They'd call me up and say, we need some ushers. And of course, I was traveling on the weekend. How dare you? Co- I'm 19 years old and I'm holding camp meetings and you're wanting me to usher. I'll never usher. I'll never forget the Sunday school class. asked me one time to come early and make coffee. Make coffee? You're kidding. My talent, my gift, my influence. They know me all across the educational district and you want me to make Coffee? You see, I wasn't called to the coffee ministry. I wasn't called to be an usher. That didn't bring me life and contentment and fulfillment. It didn't. So, obviously, God's not in it. Or what we do today is we look at people, because we won't say that. We're just, we don't have enough courage to say that. What we say is, I'll pray about it. And what that means in spiritual ease is, no. Because then you can blame God and you don't have to be courageous and just say you're full of pride and you just won't serve. See, I gotcha. I gotcha. That's exactly what it means. I wasn't called to it. But I'm going to tell you this, I wasn't called to be a custodian either, but I had to do it. I wasn't called to sell suits at JCPenney's, but I had to do it. I wasn't called in the evenings to take my children with, uh, with my vacuums and my, my cleaning supplies and go clean little insurance offices, but I had to do it. I didn't feel particularly enlivened by mowing lawns, but I did it. I had to ride grain trucks from Spartan Grain at 3 a.m. in the morning, and I will assure you I was not called to do that. But all of those opportunities weren't about God giving me something I wanted. He gave me something I needed, and I needed that because I need to understand the guy that gets up at 2.30 in the morning, and he goes to work, and he slams the door, and he starts driving because I was clueless about his life, and God put me there several months so I could get a clue at what a portion of the world has to live in. If you don't sweep up a floor or clean something up from time to time, how can you be nice to the little custodian in the church that you just look down your nose at and think, well, you know, what are they doing? And you'll leave it for them to pick up. You need to be one for a while and see how that feels. That's what God's doing with some of you right now. He isn't putting you where you want. He's got you right where you need to be. And he's trying to work some things into your system so that you get this. And once you get this, it'll open up a door to your destiny. I was watching, and I don't get too often, but I just happened to catch it, the Dr. Phil show one day. And he had a guy on his show who hadn't worked in three years. He was living in his mother-in-law and father-in-law's house. He's mooching off of everybody. And they asked him, why in the world three years? You're married, your wife's here, your child's here. Why is it that for three years you're mooching off everybody? And he said, well, I just can't find a job in my field well you know what then you're then then you need to try another field because god's got a work field for you and they even looked at him and said you got to put your hand to something you got to stop waiting for your ship to come in christians won't work because they're waiting on something i'm waiting on god i'm just waiting on him and, you know, you you're just you're, you need to get up and get... There are some things that have to be seized. God works with a little motion. I mean, it's amazing how when you're... When you're you know, because this was interesting to me. Because when we first... In 1989, when we went to Spartanburg, there was about a six- to eight-month period. I wasn't on staff. I was, I was this guy. Uh, I was a senior pastor, left my denomination, going to church at this local church. You hear me now. There were, there were hundreds of people in that local church... Wanting to be on staff because they were waiting on their ministry now they wouldn't do anything to lift a hand I found out later. I mean they're all waiting around They're all called to preach called to do this that and the other but they couldn't just serve they couldn't help And it was interesting because all I did was I just came I had to do all this stuff in the evening I taught for free when they would ask me to do that and all of a sudden in six to eight months suddenly God opened up a door And I'll never forget walking in the foyer one Sunday and a guy stopped me and he just stopped me cold and he said, I want to ask you something. He said, why you? Now doesn't that make you feel good? Because what he was saying was, I don't get it. Why you? You hadn't been here that long, you hadn't, you hadn't, you know, gone Shabbataba Duba and and, and and do all the charismatic things and, and why you? Well, I can tell you in six to eight months, your life can change if you'll just determine you're gonna get faithful. It just get faithful it's amazing what can happen because promotion won't come to unfaithful people God perhaps is ready to give you a ministry you need first before you get what you want later amen I know it doesn't fit in America because we're all used to in America just doing what we want to do but if God's in charge we better understand that what do you need me to do Lord and let me be faithful in that number three I will never mature unless I become accountable I will never mature you can't mature this stuff I understand oh I just I'm just me and Jesus I understand It's me and Jesus too but but I had me and Jesus for about 10 years and I was still a spiritual infant wasn't because I didn't read the word wasn't because I didn't Express certain talents in ministry, but I I tell you what, I was deficient in so many areas. And I just believe this. You can't mature unless you choose to be accountable. The master, interestingly enough, passes all these things out, and then he checks on his investment. He comes back and he checks on them. He parcels out this money to the servants. He gives the servants money, and he comes back, and when he comes back to check on the money with the servants, the servants didn't go, what money? You gave me money? I don't remember you giving me. You remember him giving me? I don't remember. See, they were accountable. They were accountable. Jesus would send his disciples out two by two, and then they would come back and report to him, and then he would critique them. Think about this for just a minute. They came back two by two one time, and they come to Jesus, and they go, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name, and they're just excited about all that God had done through them. And he looks at them, and you think he would join in their excitement, wouldn't you? You'd think he'd say, yeah, yeah, praise me, hallelujah, you know. You would think all that would go on, but Jesus looked at him at that moment, and he said, don't you rejoice over this, but you rejoice that their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. He just couldn't, he just couldn't share in my excitement. He just couldn't share in my moment of glory. No, he was zipping them because they were sitting there going, it's us, it's me. And he went, it's not you. So die. And that pride just dies. You know why we have a generation that's out of control? I, I've thought about this. The answer is, is that the parents who grew up in the 60s threw off all accountability in their lives. And those parents that threw off accountability, now, they all didn't live in San Francisco and smoke drugs down, you know, on on the Haight-Ashbury in San Francisco or Berkeley and all those places. I mean, we're talking all across America. There There was just a tossing off of restraint. And then those folks had kids like me. I was a product of parents that grew up in the 60s. Now, my parents, of course, they came from the Midwest, so, you know, they weren't the hippie generation, but they were a part of that generation that just cast off restraint. And the problem was, even for me growing up, I didn't have that much accountability, even in the house. I had a little bit, probably more than a lot of people, but not a whole lot. And the interesting thing is, now that it's gone from one generation to the next generation, and now we're getting down to our generation, we refuse to hold our kids accountable. And they're going to not hit their destinies unless moms and dads and other authorities in their lives step up and start holding them accountable. Because, listen to me, if someone doesn't hold them accountable, the policeman will hold them accountable. And the judge will hold them accountable. I'll tell you the truth. We've got to start doing this. We've got to hold them accountable for their attitudes. And accountable for their actions. And accountable for their words. I'm here to tell you, it's happy in my house if you live in my house. It's happy because I pay for your face. I pay for your room. I pay for your cable. I pay for your school. I pay for your food. You don't exist without me. So you know what? I expect a smile. Amen. Because you see, if they don't get it, they won't hit destiny. And truth of the matter is, I want them... To hit a destiny. We cannot enable immaturity. We cannot enable irresponsibility. Years ago, I'll just you, I'm just telling you on me, years ago, years ago, this is when my oldest son, Clay, he'll even tell you the story. He was in his early teenage years, and I could see him in the back of the church. He's with three or four other people. He's jacking around back there, and I saw him. And we tried two or three times to tell him to knock it off and cut it, cut it out. And he go, well, it's not me. They're doing this, and I, you, know, you know how it works never them so it's not me spirit that comes in the house not me not me well finally the day came when I just said that's it and I said you're going to sit down on the front with mom and you're going to sit there for three months he sat there on the front row with mom and he whined and he complained and he kept saying, it wasn't me, why do I have to do this? You're doing this in front of absolutely everybody. You know why I did this, Clay? It's because number one, you have a destiny and if, it's, if I have anything to do with it, you're going to hit it, but it sure isn't going to be because I didn't help you get there. And number two is, we're going to help some parents understand what it means to wake up. Amen. Because I understand, you. if you get on it personally, they get offended. But you got to wake up and you got to see what's going on. You know what, this is, this is how I think. If my, my children are the only ones that hit destiny, so be it. But I will get them there. I will help illustrate what it means to get there. And I'll guarantee you today, he's grateful for it. So you'll never mature unless accountability. Now let me just say this, and I, this is another good one that just hit me right here. You, you, <laughs> <laughs> who's, keep, who's keeping you adults accountable? Who? Who really, who really can do that without you copping an attitude just like your children? Your children cop an attitude. And you know who they learned it from? Yeah, you and me. They watch us and they say, well, that's how, that's how mom acts. That's how dad acts. They aren't accountable in anything. They just do what they want to do. Who gets to talk to you? Who gets to speak into your life? Who really does? I mean, who can just say it and without any repercussion you receive it? I mean, who gets to do that? It's not easy, is it? Because in America, that ain't how it works. It works that everyone gets to do what's right in his own eyes. And we're all wise in our own eyes and we all think we understand. And I know, but this is a point that we're going to have to get if we're going to get to destiny. Destiny is about being faithful. Faithful. It's not about controlling. Let me just say this. I don't want your life. I don't want a hundred people coming up after service saying, Pastor, you can speak into my life. I'm just, I'm talking into your life right now. Amen. There's a, I realize it's not like I, I don't get to go home and you know, sleep in the other bedroom and watch you 24 hours a day. But this is a point of accountability. Are you listening to what's being said and are you trying to apply what's being taught to you? That's a point of accountability. You'll never mature unless you get this. If you just come and let me make you laugh a time or two and you while I walk out, you, go, you hear that story. Oh, that was a great one. I never heard that joke before. <laughs> I can't wait till next week till I hear what funny thing pastor has to say. You won't get to a destiny. You just won't do it. You gotta begin to put some dots together. Number four, all right, I'll let that one go. Whatever God gives me to do, I will give it my best. Whatever he gives me, now let's go back. He gives you not just what you want, he gives you what you need. And once he gives you what you need, whatever he gives you to do, you must give it your best. The master doesn't expect the same outcomes He just expects everyone to do their best. Excellence is giving God the very best you can give. Everybody can't do it the same, but he does expect you to do the best you can do. It's not perfectionism. Perfectionism means without error. But he's asking you to give the best you can give. Now, I just want to give you this revelation point. I cannot give half-hearted obedience. I can't do it. Tracy will tell you through the years, I'll go to a rescue mission with four guys. I remember in Kansas City, I went to the Kansas City Rescue Mission. There were four guys sitting there. Two of them were reading the newspaper. And I had to preach to four of them, two of them reading the newspaper. If, if that's not discouraging, you say, Well, what did you do? I gave them the best I had. I shouted and yelled and hollered, and two of them got saved that day. So I was, You give the best you have. It doesn't matter how many are in front of you. You can't give half hearted commitment or energy. Remember, everywhere we go, we're sowing. You can't expect to reap promotion, to reap success, to reap destiny when we're sowing half-heartedness. So guys, and this is everyday work life. If, if you are working, get there on time. Work diligently. Give your boss the best you can give him. The Bible says that whatever we do, we do is unto the Lord. I mean, if you're waiting on ministry, why would God open doors for you if you don't give him the best you got? He isn't asking. I'm I'm amazed. We live in an interesting world where everybody's burned out. We're not burned out. We need to rise up, light up just a little bit. It's time we looked at our service as more than just a hobby. Man, this is as unto the Lord. If it's my family, if it's my marriage, I I mean, we need to be people of excellence. Doors will open. And so so whatever God gives, you got to give it your best. Amen. There's nothing wrong with excellence. There's nothing wrong with, with, with you know, putting on your best to come to the house of God. I mean, we don't put on the dog here. I just started wearing a tie again, and give me three weeks, and I'll have the pullover tee on again. But it's not a matter of whether you wear a pullover tee or you wear a tie. Maybe it has to do with whether you iron it or not. Amen. Are you with me? Come on, what are, are you thinking about how am I giving God the best? And then number five, I must never devalue the insignificant thing I am given. The servants are given something little to see how valuable they considered it to be. Before Adam and Eve were to get a world, God gave them a garden. Y'all realize they didn't handle that too well. So they never got the world. God always gives something little. He, He gave David a sheep field. And he handled the sheep field. And then he gave him administration in Saul's house. And he handled that so well that Saul chased him off. And then he had to administer organization in a cave, in a dulem. And he did okay with that. And then God led him to Hebron. And then he administered in Hebron until finally he got to Jerusalem. But I'm telling you, he'd have never got to Jerusalem if he wasn't doing it right in the sheep field. And it just seemed like a little thing... Right now, can you imagine David, he gets this prophecy or he gets this word from the prophet who says that you're going to be anointed to be king over all Jerusalem and uh, he, you know, he's done and, and he walks back to the sheep field. What does the sheep field have to do with being king over all of Jerusalem? It doesn't seem like anything in the natural, but that was the inner state which God was using in order to get him to a destiny. What does a few talents or a few minas in your hand have anything to do with giving rulership over five or ten cities? In the natural, zero. But it was God's interstate to get you to destiny. What is that little thing you're doing right now? What's the job you're doing that you hate to go to? You can't see God's hand in it. You don't know why he would make you do it. You're doing it because you just, maybe you feel like it's the only thing to do and God's just kind of put you in a corner and got you there. In your natural, I understand you can't see how that's going to get you to a destiny, but I'm telling you, if you devalue that thing and don't give it your best, it'll shut the door off to that destiny. I'm telling you, grain trucks at 3 a.m. and suits at JCPenney's and cleaning up offices and all the things and, you know, just crazy things. I've been up to my ankles in toilet overflow before service started in order to get it all cleaned up. Where other people were sitting out in the pew saying, I'm not not called to cleaning poo-poo. Well, you think I am? But the poo-poo is the interstate to a destiny. Amen. Some of you can't believe I just said poo-poo. There are other words that I have overlooked in that regard. I'm sure you appreciate that too. Zechariah 4.10 says, Do not despise the day of small beginnings. Every day, every day in the Church of America, saints are offered what looks to be small things. An insignificant job, an undesired ministry, a place of obscurity, And they turn it down by saying, well, you know, I'm not called to it, but I'll pray about it. And that means no. And they never get the revelation that that small, undesirable thing that God was really presenting them was their passport to a destiny. I know, I know. We think in the Bible, you read one chapter to the next, it's like the next day, the next day, the next day. It took 17 plus years from David to go from being run off to the caves of Adullam until he finally comes back to Jerusalem, 17 years. Some people say it was 25 plus years for Joseph to get out of Potiphar's house through the prison in order to get to the palace, 24 years. You see, in America, we are the microwave generation. We want it now. We're shooting our resumes here there, networking, always moving, gonna see, and then we go, hallelujah, I sent out 50 resumes and God opened this door and, and that's how we do it and we don't even stop for a moment. And really ask ourselves the question, is that really how God does it? Well, you know, I've got nothing against sending resumes out, and I've got nothing against walking through open doors. I've got nothing against all of that. It may well be what God uses for you. I'm just asking you to answer the question, have you really been faithful? At this very moment, just just out of my scope of influence, now I'm not talking at this church, I'm not nobody at this church, but I, I, I can tell you three people right now, not in this church, but they are three men that I know right now. Some of you might know, I don't know. But they have more talent in their, in their tip of their pinky. They've got more talent and skill than, than I've got in my whole body. I mean, in their pinky, man, they are, they are talented, skilled, smart people. I mean, they've, they've got so much on the ball and if you were asked them, they would say they love God. And I don't know that I'd even challenge their love for the Lord. But they have, they have really within them, because of that talent, the capacity to be movers and shakers in our city and in this region. But instead, they will settle for less because they refuse to connect dots in their lives. It's, e- it's either their way or no way. It's either, it's either what I think or no one. They refuse to function in a connect-the-dot sort of way in order to see God do wonderful things in their life. Can I just say this, folks, you don't have to be the best looking, best loving, most gifted, richest person, for instance, to have a good marriage. If that were the case, we'd look to Hollywood for all our examples, wouldn't we? All it takes is a little faithful. You can be a bald headed overweight guy like me, married to my beautiful wife, and it works not because I'm the best at everything. I just learned 26 years of faithful. I mean, faithful goes a long, long way. You know why God hasn't released the nations to his church? It's because because we won't be faithful. We're gifted, we're skilled, we're smart, we're talented. It's not that we couldn't do it. We just really wrestle with being faithful. You say, well, pastor...